With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Doing well. So what was the, uh, I can't wait to find out. I, I just automatically assumed it was me. I was the guy for the last couple of days. If you saw a little like black ridge over the top right here of my screen. That was me because I never switched on to my other camera. So, which I have off right now because we were trying to troubleshoot earlier. Well, it would help for the sake of you hearing me if my microphone was actually plugged into my computer, which it was not this entire time. So I'm a fucking idiot. My apologies on that, but here we are now. Here we are. Here we are. We're good. We're good. Sorry for the people. Won't happen again. Well, I probably will. But Oh, it's definitely going to happen more than once. Uh, We're we're doing a lot of different things uh, in front of the cameras and behind the scenes. And inevitably, well, I have a blonde moment and forget about something seemingly obvious. But uh, Kevin, we do have a big show lined up. We're going to talk about what Brett Yormark had to say in Lubbock. Also, Jack Swarbrick on the Dan Patrick show yesterday. And uh, we also need to discuss uh, Shohei Otani and the uh, unfortunate news with regards to his status as a two-way player. And uh, there is one trade to speak of in the NFL involving the Arizona Cardinals and New York Giants. We'll see if this is a big deal at all in terms of just how competitive the Giants will be in 2023 and the Cardinals essentially admitting maybe a bad first-round draft pick from a few years ago while also doing everything in their power to ensure that they have a just a listless group of guys out there uh, on both sides of the ball, but especially defense too. And I start the show with embarrassment. I may have to end the show with some embarrassment if we have time and where are we at in society at the very end of things. But let's start in Lubbock yesterday. It was the Red Raider Club kickoff luncheon that saw not only uh, Joey McGuire speak for a bunch of passionate Red Raider fans, but also a couple of players. And the keynote speaker at this year's Red Raider Club luncheon to kick off the college football season was Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark. Now, if you have listened to me on this channel or perhaps my 1027 ESPN radio show at night, you know that I am an admirer of the work that Brett Yormark has done in a little bit more than a year as the commissioner of the Big 12. A lot of people call him a good salesman, and he certainly is that, but he's also a whole lot more, too. He understands how to build a successful structure and surround himself with extremely competent people, too. But Brett Yormark also understands who and what exactly he is. So sometimes he'll do something deliberate to fire fan bases up and also make the conversation about the Big 12. And Kevin, that is what happened with this particular comment at the Red Raider Club luncheon yesterday. Candidly, we were able to get Texas and Oklahoma out a year early. That was a big deal for us, and I think all of you. Okay? And Coach, I'm not going to put any pressure on you. But I'm going to be in Austin for Thanksgiving, okay? And you better take care of business like you did right here in Lubbock last year. So Longhorn fans are pissed. 
in a way, understandably so, because it implies that Brett Yormark is maybe going to stack the deck against the Longhorns and Sooners this year. Let's lump both those schools in together. But that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody based on how we saw things play out last season, Kevin. No, it shouldn't at all. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm always excited for Texas football, but the last couple of years I've been trepidatious just knowing this year and last year that there's a good chance Texas will get the screw job. How many holding penalties against Texas opponents last year? PK? It was either one each for Texas and Oklahoma in terms of opponent holding penalties or one total between the two in conference play. I see three in, in one drive. So you can't call it all the time, but I think that speaks to it. And, you know, Shocking that an East Coast music guy would would throw something like that out there. I mean, there's definitely he's sharp. I'll give him that. But and he's trying to build this conference. But there's no way you can say that. And um, I think Texas and Oklahoma should be prepared to get some screw jobs this year, period. So you think he made a mistake in saying that then? Yeah, I mean, I do, because you're 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 not running. uh jay-z's shoe uh shoe apparel now you know uh, you need your commissioner of a major conference you can say that behind closed doors to say that publicly good riddance big 12 <laughs> yeah well i think we all felt that way prior to those comments last night but what you said is ringing true in my ears right now and that is whatever expectations we have for this upcoming season and Texas is capable of accomplishing great things. We also have to recognize that pretty much every game in conference play, we're going to be going up against two different teams. And I hate to play this card. I will do it very rarely when it's obvious, like with that Texas-Oklahoma State game several years ago during the Charlie Strong era, you and I were standing next to one another in the bleachers Ugh. watching that insanity play out. But we do need to get ready for some serious jobbings this upcoming season. And because of that, it may force you to recalibrate what this team ultimately does by season's end. Yeah, the eyeball test is always important, especially with stuff like that. So did, did anyone, I hope no Texas fan, ever counted that game against Charlie Strong? Charlie Strong had other issues with the program and being the head coach here, but I never counted that as an L against him. You take the L because you lost. So that's in the, the box score. But for him, as you're judging a coach or judging that team that year, I forgot what that team finished. And that was not a great team. But it was one of those where you definitely give him give him a lot of rope on that and leeway. And I think you may have to do that with this team this year. We'll see. And hopefully they can overcome it. But you know, I, I know the, the the common theme was Texas caught a lot of breaks because they were the big dog. I never really felt that. Like even, even when, you know, and they didn't have great teams from 2010 to what, 2016. So that may have been some of it where they're really tight games. But it's not like Texas was, was catching breaks like the Globetrotters against the Generals. This was – so heading into this year, I'm um, – yeah, I'm, I'm worried about it. I am in the, uh, I guess, small category of Longhorn fans who not only doesn't blame your mark for what he did, I don't see any issues with him saying that from the position of conference commissioner because he's operating from a 
weak vantage point. And when you're yeah. doing that, you have to be willing to take more risks. And not only is he uh, creating a lot of bad blood in the conference and perhaps giving a uh, not-so-subtle warning to both Texas and Oklahoma, but he is making the conversation about the Big 12 just days before the college football season officially gets going with week zero. And I also know that he was speaking to a Red Raider crowd too. And while I do consider Brett Yormark to be a, uh, a pretty forthright guy based on two different lengthy conversations that I've had with him, I also get that he was pandering the crowd right, uh, right there. And by the yeah. way, he probably uh, practiced that speech on that podium at least once or twice before he was up there in front of people too. And I only know that because there were people that watched him rehearse his state of the conference speeches before or at the start of big 12 media days each of the last two years so this is a guy who is very buttoned up very dialed in and very deliberate about what he does too and i will continue to say this and i think at some point kevin this will uh belong on my rondale Moore pantheon of having uh that foresight maybe a little bit sooner than others Rhett yormark will be running something much more important than big 12 athletics probably within the next five years or so, is that the head of the college football playoff? Is that taking over for Roger Goodell at some point? If it were taking over for Goodell, that's probably not going to be in the next five years. Uh, but uh, he will be doing something more than leading the Big 12 conference before it's all said and done. Yeah, I think he's going to be in prison for tax evasion. But uh, but it could be that too, or it could be both. Um, yeah, no, look, he's it's impressive, his climb and all that. And yeah, he was not only pandering to Red Raider fans, he was pandering to everyone else who's still there. So I do understand that. They're gone, screw them. If their fans don't like me, whatever. But I mean, if you're the if you're the head of a major conference, that is pretty rare to say something like that, even with someone on the way out. Um, it is, but he wasn't, I don't think he was being malicious about it though. He was like, you guys need to go take care of business because he understands uh, where the conference's bread is buttered going forward. And he knows that Texas Tech, he's not going to say that at an Iowa State kickoff luncheon this year, but he recognizes that Texas Tech is one of those up and coming teams and does have a chance to make some noise too, especially considering that that is the last game of the regular season and there could be conference title game implications on the line. I agree, but everyone who's watched Big 12 football, Big 12 especially, we'll just focus on this because other conferences have their issues too. The officiating has been shady at times where it does make you go behind, you know, go to the grassy knoll and say, what the hell really is happening here? That's just not bad officiating. Something felt like it was coming from up top. Well, he is up top. Yeah, he is, and um, perhaps it was uh, an unfortunate admission by him, but we all expect nothing less. So for him to uh, to say the quiet part at la- out loud, well, brace yourself, Longhorn fans, because you know what's coming this year, and you hope that your roster is good enough that you can overcome that far more often than not. Agreed, agreed. I didn't lose any sleep over it. I know some people it really fired him up. I guess I also wasn't that surprised, and that that's an issue right there. I, I should be really surprised when a commissioner says something like that. Well, not surprised, and let's also keep in mind that the Longhorn fan base is one of the easiest triggered fan bases in the entire country, too. I mean, you are USA Today and athletic writers who have, I won't say made a living on that, but they've... Uh, increase their name recognition based on the fact that they're willing to throw some hate Texas way 
because of how much it pisses people off online. Well, Tim Brando is still relevant. I don't know how relevant he is. I guess he's relevant in the Big 12 because he still calls Big 12 games. But no, he's only relevant because Texas fans block him all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, and he blocks some of us too. I don't take pride in getting blocked by many people, but I had no problem telling Tim Brando to go fuck off at some point in the last few years for his blatant Longhorn Homer or anti-Longhorn Homerisms on broadcast. And more than that, Kevin, by the way, because I don't really care that much about that. He's not good at his job anymore. He used to no, be he used his to job, be. but he's clearly not even putting in the necessary homework to get very basic shit about doing play-by-play for a football game on television, by the way, yeah. which makes that a much easier process. He's not, he's not even putting that work in anymore. Yeah, and it's sad because Tim Brando, he was a staple for us growing up. Uh, with ESPN football, college football, and did a really good job. He doesn't fire me up like he does some Texas fans. I do hear the anti-Texas stuff. It's pretty obvious on Twitter, too, that he's not a big Texas guy. And, you know, he's definitely grew up an SEC honk. But, but, um, yeah, Brando's just not the same guy anymore. Yeah, I think my comment to him that got me blocked is like, it's so funny how how intent Tim Brando is on hating Texas when he can't even get like the very basic stuff right with his actual job. Block. Well, you're going to be unblocked soon, aren't you? I don't know. There's back and forths on that as to whether uh, Elon Musk can do that because if you don't allow the block feature, then you're not allowed to be listed in the Apple and or Android app stores. So that remains to be seen, but just like with Brett Yormark, Elon Musk putting that out there did turn the conversation back to Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now for at least part of a news cycle. Yeah, I, I'm just hoping I can retweet stuff I want to retweet on Twitter. I don't know what's going on with that. I've got no problems with Elon. He's an impressive guy, uh, but there are some things on Twitter now that used to be pretty basic you can't do anymore. Well, if you're not verified, you're essentially getting painted into a corner to where your social media experience isn't nearly as enjoyable. But for me, like this isn't getting me to consider paying the 11 bucks a month for verification because I can't send DMs or I'm having a hard time retweeting or liking stuff. Uh, it's just going to get me away from that app altogether at some point yeah. or, not, or being more of a passive user of the app. And somebody, and I guess I'm already kind of this way right now, if you follow at Courtesy Wave, really just using it for, for promotion and nothing more. Like, I don't, I don't want to say I don't need conversations at this point in my life. I love good conversations. I just don't need social media conversations that, are, uh, that have a heavy, a heavy influence from those who are just looking to say ugly shit about you because they don't necessarily agree with the viewpoint that you've expressed. Yeah, or going through your feed and you don't follow people, but for some reason they're showing someone getting their head blown off. I mean, some of the grotesque videos they show on there, someone getting the shit beaten out of them or shot or what. There's a, you know, there are a lot of reasons why our society may be a little too aggro right now and getting into all these physical altercations. I think MMA and some of that stuff doesn't help either because it's been normalized. But the stuff I see on Twitter, sometimes I just have to turn it off. How is that allowed to be on there? Yeah, bloodlust has been a thing throughout human history. It's just the ease of access to a lot of that stuff now, right? I mean, it's a lot like porn. It's not like porn 
wasn't popular literally going back centuries before photographs were even a thing. There were illustrations that uh, people were purchasing that were of pornographic in nature. But the problem is, is since the advent of the internet and just how easy it is to access pretty much anything from these mini supercomputers in our pockets now is that it just plays it up to the nth degree. I'm with you though. Like there are some people and I, I look, I get amusement from uh, the occasional world star hip hop fight. We're talking about things happening to an individual that is causing serious injury or in some cases death. I have no desire to sit there and, and watch that much less watch versions of that repeatedly over and over again throughout a feed. Trying to think of porn two centuries ago, man, you thought the bushes in the seventies were, were pretty big. Well, apparently uh, two, uh, two centuries ago, uh, not only were the uh, the bushes like the shrubbery outside of Buckingham Palace, but uh, apparently the STDs, you didn't need a microscope to uh, to see some of the crabs walking around there. Oh, God. All right. What do we got up next? That's enough for me. This is like Twitter all of a sudden. I just got to keep on moving forward. And by the way, I'm going to give you the same warning that I gave BK before we move on to Jack Swarbrick. Just be careful if you see Arch trending and you think it's Arch Manning because it may very well be Arch Manning, but it very quickly devolves into porn. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the heads up. So there's your PSA or uh, maybe uh, helping some of you people find porn on Twitter. All right. Switching gears now, staying in college football, but moving on to a guy who is as if not more powerful than most conference commissioners. That would be... Jack Swarbrick, the soon-to-be, or maybe he is already considered the outgoing athletics director at Notre Dame, he had a lengthy interview on the Dan Patrick show yesterday, and uh, they got into some really interesting things. I need to give Dan Patrick credit for uh, for uh, doing a good job of leading this conversation. By the way, side note in some of these clips we're about to play, I guess the other guest on yesterday's show was Will Farrell, and Will is just sitting there off to the side having to listen to Jack Swarbrick uh, go through his spiel about various things. And he makes That's some, and there are some things where it's just like, all right, Jack, you need to chill out here. But uh, we start with Dan Patrick asking about the overall state of college football. Can you sum up what's happening with college football in the last, where would you start? Complete disaster. How did it, how did we get here, Jack? I wish I knew. And, and listen, I'm not uh, – every, everybody in the industry has to take responsibility here. I'm not uh, excluding myself from that. I think uh, the decision-making has lost its way in terms of the focus on the student-athlete and what's primarily best for them. Um, but we are where we are, and we have to try and make it work. I mean, we've been pretty uh, vocal in the past month about we need to find a home for Stanford and Cal. That you can't have two of the great academic institutions in the world not have a not have a place to play. Yes, you can. You know how I know you can, Jack, because the Ivy League is a thing. Well, also because that's what y'all do, right? Yeah, and you are uh, you are a uh, an institution of higher education that has a ton of respect, obviously. But it's so funny to hear him in the same breath talk about terrible decision-making and then state the case for Stanford and Cal to end up in the ACC. 
which by the way, according to reports that started surfacing last night, it looks like we're pretty far down the road in that happening along with SMU joining them as new members of the ACC starting in 2024. Yeah, I'm happy for SMU. I don't totally get that. Getting SMU and thinking you got the Dallas market is like getting Rutgers and thinking you got the New York City market. You don't, trust me. But what I do like, and and you know, my dad went to Notre Dame. I'm a Notre Dame fan, but I, I can be objective about them. And I think there are times where they've gotten too much shit because they're Notre Dame. And there are times when they deserve some shit. And this is one of those that, I mean, this is me with a, a buddy trying to get him to hit on two girls. And then he looks at me and says, well, why don't you ask him out? Well, I mean, that's not, it's a little below my level there, but, uh, but for you, it's good. And so they're trying to get Stanford and Cal to the ACC, but Notre Dame won't fully join the ACC. Or the Big Ten, mind you. It it does make me wonder, and we're going to get to this with some of his comments here shortly, if Jack was stepping down, not only because he's been on the job for a while and he's getting older, I always thought there might be some sort of connection to him trying to take over the college football playoff. But I see somebody who wants no part of this going forward. And it does make me wonder if he doesn't see the inevitability of Notre Dame joining a conference and that conference likely being the SEC when it's all said and done versus the conference that they're currently attached to. Yeah, and the Big Ten going back to the Western Conference, I will give Notre Dame a little love. They got they're still butthurt from a century ago when the Big Ten wouldn't let them in. And uh, that's 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 good Irish revenge there. I mean, that, that's holding the grudge. We like to hold it for about a century or two, and then we drop it, kind of. Um, But, yeah, it'd either be Big Ten or SEC. I don't feel like Notre Dame's forced to go that direction. They may be at some point. I I said a couple years ago, I think it's moving that direction. But Notre Dame's its own little special thing, I guess, and and they'll be able to, to survive until maybe it's just two conferences and that's it. So when Notre Dame was in this meeting with the Big Ten a century ago and ends up getting rejected from the conference, did they sneak out the back door without saying goodbye to anybody? Yeah, pretty much. They they said they're going to go to the bathroom and just left. (laughs) Went outside and drank some really bad whiskey and then then got on the bus. So Jack Swarbrick does expand on Stanford and Cal and uh, why they should eventually find themselves in the ACC to Dan Patrick. What kind of solution you got? We're working on it. Meaning? Well, th- there's still consideration of the ACC as a home for those schools. Okay. And Notre Dame is lobbying for Stanford and Cal to join? Very much so. Okay. Yeah. And the Pac-12 dies? It's looking that way more and more every day, yes. It's looking that way. It barely have a pulse. They're dead. Yeah. The Pac-12 is dead, and... It- I don't see how Jack Swarbrick doesn't understand how Stanford, Cal, and SMU going to the ACC doesn't accelerate that conference's death too. Because now you're going to see motions in play, assuming that it happens, where Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, probably NC State, maybe Miami, if they're really stuck to that contract, they're going to start looking at private equity options to help them get out of that deal and pay whatever the exit fee is so they can move on to greener pastures, whether that's the SEC, Big Ten, or God forbid if the Big 12 actually ends up making a play and adding uh, adding schools like that. But uh, Stanford, Cal, and SMU, let's think about this, Kevin. 
SMU in the last year was rejected by the Big 12. So you are taking the Big 12's rejects, and Stanford, within a, the last week or two, basically said, we will literally move to this conference and take nothing in the way of media rights for the first couple of years. That's how desperate Stanford is right now to end up someplace other than the Mountain West Conference. So uh, these are the, uh, the sort of schools that you're bringing into the fold now is those who really don't have any other options, but for some reason you're throwing them that lifeboat. It's also how loaded Stanford is as a school that they actually don't need any of that money. Um, But, you know, so they're looking for a good home right now. I can see taking Stanford and Cal through the ACC because you're just trying to stay alive. I agree. It probably does not entice Clemson, Florida state, Miami, North Carolina, whoever those other schools are that are looking to jump. But they're just trying to stay stay afloat right now because it's pretty obvious the Big 12 is that third conference. Man, if you're Florida State or Miami and you're looking to go somewhere or Clemson, and I think they could get to the Big 10 or SEC, certainly probably the Big 10, the way they're adding. But if you end up in the Big 12, that's maybe a little step up. That is not what you want. No, no, it's definitely not. You you want to end up in one of the uh, the two conferences who are going to have the ultimate say so on what the college football playoff looks like after 2025. And on the subject of football, it's a question that has been bandied about a fair amount this summer at this point. But Dan Patrick also did ask Jack Swarbrick about the potential for separating football from the rest of the athletics department. Chip Kelly has talked about why don't we just have. You know, the football schools play the football schools, and then the other uh, athletic programs don't have to travel to Piscataway or, you know, Syracuse or those kind of things. I mean, that, that seems like obvious that you could be able to still do that and not have the baseball team travel, uh, you know, all across the country. I'm all for more regional scheduling. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it makes a load of sense. It doesn't mean you need to separate out football operationally, right? I think... I think we can all still stay under the same umbrella, um, but I'm, I'd like to see much more regional scheduling. Yeah, I heard Chip Kelly talk about that. I've heard there's someone else who had brought that up too. I think that makes a lot of sense. What am I missing how that doesn't make sense? I think the argument against that, because I talked to a couple people at Big 12 Media Days, athletics directors about this, is that the concern is that all of a sudden you're committing that much more to football resources and it takes away from your ability to fund some of the lesser programs. That's yeah. I'm not saying I agree with that. That's the argument that I was hearing right. when I was asking about it though. Well, I would ask them, yeah, well, who funds all this? Yeah. Football. I'm sick of 85 being put up against football for Title IX, all for Title IX and, and giving everyone an opportunity, right? Men should not start minus 85 softball programs should not have more scholarships than baseball programs. Okay. They should be equal, which is fine, but equal. And you don't count against the 85. They pay for everything. If I pick up dinner with Bob Dunn, I don't look at him and say, Hey, you know, you're going to like Bob, we even know what this is. You're going to Venmo me back. No, I think I'm winning on that. I, I think, I think you know, whatever the, the total bill is, what he's spent on me and what I've spent on him, I think I'm okay right there. Just shut up and move on. 
Plus, we've seen what that turns into, too, by the way. It's 85-person women's crew teams on certain campuses that lends itself uh, to a whole different set of problems, too, like the, uh, like the admissions scandal from a couple of years ago. Ah, that was great. Lori Loughlin. God, she's good looking. Big fan of hers. I loved her appearance. Daughter was hot, too. Yeah, the daughter was good looking. Yeah, you're right. I I don't think she's splitting atoms, but... But uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it, it, it could lead to that for sure. Um, it's a weird, weird college athletics world we live in right now. We're right in the middle of it. It's a hurricane. And at some point, stuff will land. and You'll wake up in the morning and look around and see if your house is still there. But it's a good time to be a Texas fan. Texas, Texas is and a Notre Dame, too. I mean, if you're in those positions, you're fine. But you just kind of wonder how it's all going to play out. But beyond that, I'm a college sports fan. And um, this is going to be the last year in a lot of regards. Not only the conferences, it's the last time there's a four-team playoff. I don't like that they're going to – what do they go to, 68 teams in the playoffs this year? Um, Something you know, like that. Just give everyone a shot. That's what we care about. They care about money. So I'm so, that's the other thing. I'm so sick of Swarbic student-athletes. You don't give a shit about student-athletes. You care about money. And Notre Dame's at the top of the list where they can't – they care about money, period. I'm glad you mentioned that because the next cut we have is Dan Patrick asking about college football going more towards an NFL model and the idea of football players and maybe even basketball players can being considered university employees. Could you see where we're headed towards the NFL model with college football? Let's say you have 50 teams uh, split it up with uh, divisions. Yeah, a little hard to get there because of the conflicting media rights deals and assignment of rights. And yeah. so those things don't ever line up on the calendar basis. So a little hard to see how you get there. But it's likely within the next year, uh, either in an action involving USC or a federal case in Pennsylvania, uh, student athletes, uh, football and basketball players will be declared employees. You think that's where we should be headed? I don't. Uh, it's, it's not about not supporting them and making sure there are ample benefits available. Um, we were the first school in the country to advocate for name, image, and likeness uh, back, in, back in 2015. But I don't think they need to be employees. We still want them to be part of the student body and, and involved in a lot of the same experiences that the normal student has. I'm sorry, Kevin. Are there not other students at schools who are considered university employees because they work jobs that help the university operate on a day-to-day basis? I had a couple of friends in communications that, that, that also worked at the school. If you work at Gregory Gymnasium, you're an employee. I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And of all people that are making that much money, Hell yeah, you're an employee. You bring in that much money to the school? Who else could bring in that much money to any company, organization, whatever, and not be counted as an employee? Get the hell out of here. The, the, the bullshit just it just piles up, and most of us hear it, and it's it doesn't take too long. Like I would not have been a great lawyer trying to piece through everything and or go Angela Lansbury style. Well, Angela Lansbury is usually right in front of you, but it's just it doesn't take that long to to break apart their theories and just call bullshit very quickly murder murder she type baby (laughs) 
Yeah, I didn't realize that there were uh, cases in a couple of different states that may go ahead and shatter that paradigm too, by the way. But it does seem inevitable. I mean, the fact that he threw out that they can't be considered student athletes if they're students, if they're all of a sudden university employees is obviously complete bullshit. And I love how he also mentioned providing them resources to succeed because that was an incomplete statement. You provide them resources to concede, to succeed right now and maybe for a couple of years after they graduate too. What this comes down to, and I was talking to Paul Wadlington about this a couple weeks ago when I was previewing, yeah, uh, our friend Paul, about uh, we, were, we were previewing his Thinking Texas Football annual uh, Longhorn preseason guide. And inevitably, we always get to the uh, subject of general college sports. And so I asked him about that. He's like, this is all about workers' comp. This is all about them being on the hook for injuries suffered on the job, especially for guys who don't end up going on and playing professionally and at least getting uh, something in the way of money to play football for a living outside of what they're now able to make in college. Right. Or lawsuits when they're 29 and they can't wake up because of their shoulder or their hip or their knee. You and I know a lot of guys like that. I mean, Rod Baber stays in really good shape, but there are days when Rod would come in and, you know, the, the college football and NFL grind gets to your body. Dude, there are days that I have a hard time getting out of bed. Exactly. I can't imagine going through the nonstop car wreck that you do as a football player at whatever level and the ramifications for that decades later. Kevin Hart can't run the 40 right now. And I feel you, Kev. I can't either. <laughs> you're, you know, you're 44, I'm 45. I get it. And we didn't play college football. I can only imagine... Yeah, that, that, Paul at the nail on the head, like usual. That, that that's a, that's what it has been forever, and they're going to come up with with reasons why they they you know aren't going to be liable. So that Kevin Hart video, thank you for sending that to me. Oh, way so was good. hilarious. And by check the way, out my Twitter if yeah, you want to see it. Check out uh, is it Kevin Dunn one Yeah, Twitter still is. Yep, Kevin Dunn one it is funny. And Kevin Hart, and I think he even says this at the start of the video, he's in pretty good shape for his age, too. He's years yeah. of my age. I think he's 45 right now. He's in good shape, but you don't just get to go from what you're doing. And they were hanging out at a barbecue and try and <laughs> run 40 yards without getting properly warmed up and not pay some serious physical price. So the fact that he's dealing with a torn ab. <laughs> And two torn adductors speaks to how fast he was probably running, even if he lost that race. But also the uh, the dangers of thinking that you as a 45-year-old weekend warrior can crank it up like you used to in your 20s. It doesn't work like that anymore, my friends. It's why, I mean, it's why I won't play pick up basketball anymore or things like that. I am so, I, I hear more stories about guys in their 30s and 40s that blow out an Achilles. And outside of getting buried alive, I think, you know, or stuck in a just a room full of scorpions. Nothing freaks me out more than blowing out my Achilles. And I, I want to know when Hart blew it out, though. I want to know if it was, you know, five yards in or if he was really because he's running next to Stephen Ridley. If he's like, you know, can see him and they're, you know, 30 yards into the 40 and then tried to really gas it up and blew it out. <laughs> Hart's hilarious. So you got to go watch that. I'm guessing you're right that it probably was 10 yards yeah. from there has to be a cell phone video of this, by the way, that cell phone video needs to come out. I'm guessing it was 10 yards away from the finish line and Ridley was probably crossing the finish line and he pulls up lame and people are like, Oh, here we go. Kevin Hart making excuses here. But the reality was is that he actually did blow a couple different muscle groups out.
Way too funny. Way too funny. Hey, uh, do you want to move to some college football talk here? Like, Real quick, I did want to get this because we talked about money, and Dan Patrick asks Swarbrick about how much of this has to do with greed, and I think this is the most honest answer that Jack Swarbrick gives, and I think he, he kind of turns that narrative back a little bit on what Dan Patrick was implying. Not to say that greed isn't a factor, but it is really all about money. But is this based on greed? Or how much is with, with what's going on with, and the people in power who are making these, you know, the kids are going to be the kids, but you've got grownups who have made decisions that seem like they're just based on money. Yeah, well, they're certainly based on money. There's, there's no question. And uh, some of that is the demands that have arisen over time for, to find more revenue to meet this requirement or this requirement. So I, I'm not terribly comfortable with the, Description of it is greed, but it is all about money. So there can be a difference there. And greed is certainly at play on one sense, but uh, it is just about figuring out the best way to distribute the insane amount of money that is pumping into that sport now. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. it's about greed, though, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe you're right about that. I don't think I mean, there's... I, I, I don't know how you separate that much. And and by the way, being greedy to some degree is okay. We all need to earn a living and you want to make as much as you can. But um, yeah, I'm, look, I'm okay with it now because they've been greedy forever. And now the people who are actually playing are getting some money back. So I, I think it's actually moved in the right direction. Now, all the conference realignment, that is about money. And that is about getting as much as you can. And it's also smart, too. I'm not going to sit here and, and act like it's not. If you want to get as much as you can, but let's call it what it is. Well, here's the reason why I don't necessarily think it is all about greed, because there is a reluctance on certain things, not because um, the powers that be are afraid to share the cut of what they're getting right now, although a little bit of that is certainly happening I think it has a lot to do with the uh, the people people at the highest levels understanding that every door you open creates, in some cases, a, a cavalcade of new problems that you're then having to solve. Yeah. At the university within the athletics department at the university, and then for the entirety of the sport too. So. Is greed is money a part of it? Absolutely. Just because you are trying to make more money doesn't inherently make you greedy. What makes you greedy is when it becomes a money at all cost situation. Yes. I don't necessarily see that at play nearly as much with the athletics directors or uh, Jack Swarbrick, obviously, with Notre Dame or the conference commissioners or Bill Hancock, as much as it is understanding that once these guys are university employees, Holy shit, you better have a good group of lawyers to help you through that because all of a sudden it becomes a very different job. Much like with uh, college football coaches and coaches in sports in general uh, in college, I guess, to a lesser degree. Like once NIL was allowed and once the transfer portal was opened up like it has been the last few years, that became a very different job too. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're totally right about that. And um yeah, it's uh, it, look. In fairness to the athletic departments, that does take a lot of money to have that many different sports and hotels and planes. I mean, that there is a, a there's a lot that goes into that. So it's not like they're 
they're netting everything that they're bringing in. I, I get that. I've talked to athletics people before that actually get into what their budget is. But like you said, if it's if it's only about money, then yeah, that, that's going to come down to greed. Maybe it's even smart greed. Okay, Kevin, we are uh, going to skip where are we at today. There's a story that you and I need to get into. It's just going to take longer than five minutes. So instead, okay. we will turn to baseball for our final little bit here before Chip and Zay pop on at one o'clock. Bummer news regarding Shohei Otani that uh, came out either late last night or early today. Uh, he is not going to be pitching for the foreseeable future because he tore a ligament in his elbow, which I haven't even read this just yet, but I assume that means Tommy John surgery for him. Have we seen uh, the last of Shohei Otani, the pitcher, do you think? That's a great question. I mean, it was phenomenal, uh, especially what he did this year. It's a torn UCL. He had a forearm strain, or no, he had forearm stiffness. Discomfort, yeah. I mean, God, that forearm turns into TJ a lot. They're not, they're not sure he's going to have to have TJ. He's already had Tommy John surgery once. Mm. Nathan Evaldi has had it twice, so you can do it twice. But like Trevor Store is a good example of someone where they've got new technology now. One, if it's not too bad, they can give you stem cells or PRP shots. Oh. They've got something with Trevor's story where they can go in there, repair it. They put something, I guess, over it. Now, Trevor's story is not a pitcher, so I don't know how that would, you know, turn out. But if I know, I don't think we've seen the last of him as a pitcher. Uh, but to do both of that, how taxing that is. And by the way, he could only hit for the rest of his career. And the way he's hitting right now, he's hitting 344 bombs or whatever it is. Um, he, he's going to be just okay probably won't get that 500 million whatever they're looking for but yeah definitely sad news i'll say this if i'm a gm i I wouldn't have touched him before the injury and i wouldn't touch him right now and i think he's phenomenal i'm not going to put that much money into one guy when you're asking for an ace and your cleanup guy right like you're you're i mean talk about going to bed every night being like hey is shohei okay yeah, considering the pending free agency, do you think this knocks that $500 million number down by 100 mil or so? I don't know how much it knocks it down. It definitely knocks it down some. Some of that will find out what they end up having to do. So if he has to have surgery again, it'll knock it down. It'll probably knock it down whether he has no surgery or not. When I say surgery, Tommy John surgery. But yeah, it's going to knock it down a little bit. And I think there are some GMs that just aren't going to be in. And, and think that he's once-in-a-lifetime player, one of the best pitchers, definitely one of the best hitters, and they're just not going to touch it because you, you've got too much of the percentage of your payroll invested in one guy that you're just worried about all the time. We talked about this with football players a few minutes ago. Do you see old-school baseball guys who are limping around because they played baseball for as long as they did? I feel like that's not nearly as common for obvious reasons, but you are still just running running and pounding the body for a living for decades on end, and uh, inevitably that will get to you too. Yeah, I mean, catchers have knee problems, back problems, pitchers have shoulder problems, elbow hurts, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't. it's nowhere near football, but, yeah, there are guys that, that are beat up, certainly in those two spots. How about this from Jay Ward? Speaking of sports that beat you up, I'm 32, rode bulls for a living Ooh. for six years. I feel like I'm 60 most days. Oh, yeah. man. 
That'll happen when a 2,000-pound uh, angry creature is trying to get you off of its back and is actually successful in doing so, whether or not it ends up stomping you with one of its hooves in the process. Yeah, yeah, you've got, you're a lot tougher than we are and have more bulls. Uh, that, that's pretty damn impressive. I can only imagine that, that riding a bull, that's got that, that, that's got to be pretty much being on kickoff team, right? Yeah, t- kickoff team and then some. Right. Yeah. Depending on, on how much you got banged up and how often you're doing it. But yeah, I, I, I feel bad. This year was once in a lifetime. I'm glad I ate it up the way I did. And what Shohei did, you know, I mean, Babe Ruth really never did that. I think there was one year where he kind of did, but Babe Ruth never, he was a great pitcher and a great hitter, but he didn't do it all together. So Shohei, I, I hope he gives it a shot again. But I'll say this, just watching him run and hit, he's still worth the price of admission. Yeah, it is a really good reminder to uh, to try and just enjoy greatness when it's happening because it can be gone very quickly. Yeah. For some, some reasons that have directly to do with the performer and some that don't necessarily. And the human body, while it's uh, amazing in a lot of ways, especially with the, uh, the healing powers, it's also something that can be fra- very fragile too, or even if it's not fragile – uh, you only have so many reps, as they say, with certain movements. And that overhand throwing motion is not one that we were naturally designed to do necessarily. Bird only has so many flaps in there, man. <laughs>